This is the Feminine Genius Podcast, a podcast that celebrates all women of God and their unique genius. I'm your host, Rachel Wong. Trisha D'Souza had plans to work in politics and worked extremely hard towards that goal. But a series of health issues led to a major career shift and gave new life to an old hobby. This dramatic change led Trisha to grow in her dependence on God in the midst of life's challenges, as well as the reminder that this world is our ship and not our home. In this episode, Trisha and I talk about the difficult health challenges she's had to endure, how she came to start her art business, and the important prayer that changed her perspective on God and His providence. Hi, Trisha. Hi, Rachel. (laughs) How are you? I am good. I'm good. I am working through some stuff this week, trying to get some things done, get back on track, get back into my routine. Mm -hmm. But I'm doing well. How are you? I am well, thanks. Just before like, I ask you to introduce yourself, I wanted to share with listeners that mm-hmm. I had the great privilege of hearing, or I guess like like I was saying, meeting you for the first time mm-hmm. on the podcast In yeah. the Thicket. I listened to the episode that you did with those ladies, so a big shout out to the podcast In the Thicket. I know that you have a personal connection to that, yeah. but maybe <laughs> at this point, yeah, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and share a little bit about what you do right now. Sure, yeah. Um, just to note on the In the Thicket podcast, I do, I'm very, I think that their mission is also super important. Um, my sister, as you know, I have a personal connection. She is a member of that podcast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just, yeah, shout them out. They they do really important work. Um, yeah, so my name is Trisha D'Souza. I am a full-time freelance artist, but I also have a business. My business is called Made Marin Illustrated. I make prints and I do a lot of commissions for people. I just finished illustrating a children's book, which is super exciting. And I'm really excited for that to come out. Um, And the subject of my prints varies from, you know, just things that I enjoy, things I find beautiful, and as well as some religious images that I think are meaningful. So I used to work in politics. I graduated from the University of Toronto in 2016, which is crazy. I can't believe how long ago that was. And then I worked in politics for a little bit. I was doing my master's public policy and had like a really big career shift in 2019, 2018, right around that time mm-hmm. to do this full time. So yeah, I, um, I grew up Catholic, um, which I've been Catholic my whole life. My parents raised us in a very Catholic home, but I definitely kind of started taking my faith more seriously once I got to university. And I can share a bit about that later if you'd like. Um, and then it's just, my faith has just grown and grown by leaps and bounds for lots of reasons. But I think the primary one that sticks out in my head is just like, I think I just so know now that this world is not our home Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that this reality is just not like there's a, there's a reality and then there's the appearance of reality and we can get so lost in the appearance of the reality And I think God has just kind of stripped away that appearance for me throughout my whole life. And now I'm really striving to live in the reality reality, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's kind of me in a very short nutshell. It's kind of the work that I do and the reason that I am where I am. I'm currently based out of the Toronto area in Canada, but I'm going to be moving to Austin, Texas. (laughs) 
in the new year. I'm getting married, which I'm so excited about. My fiance, he is American and he is at law school the University of Texas right now. Wow. So yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Wow. Well, praise God. I mean, there's like you mentioned, there's a lot happening. And I think that that point that you mentioned about how like this world is not really like our final destination. It's mm-hmm. not where we're meant to stay. And I can't remember mm-hmm. who it is that said it, but the world is thy ship and not thy home. Yes. Um, yeah. I think that was St. Therese. St. Therese. Okay. Therese. There yeah. you go. <laughs> and just like you yeah. said, there are so many things, right? That kind of, we get so embedded into what's happening in this world and I think Mm -hmm. obviously it's good to lay down roots and take things seriously but ultimately like there are as you mentioned and I'm sure we'll get into today just different things that kind of jolt us or or rock our foundation Mm -hmm. and we have to remember like okay like who is the real foundation here and that's that of Jesus Christ so Great segue into talking about Jesus. (laughs) So you mentioned that you were raised Catholic, you and your family. And Mm -hmm. yeah, would you be able to tell us more about your faith journey? Absolutely. Yeah. So I am super blessed. I have been raised in a very loving, very open home. I'm the youngest of three children. My parents are Catholic. They always have been. And they raised us Catholic, like I said. But we were always allowed to ask questions, which was so good for us growing up. Um, My parents really struck this balance, which I just don't know how they did it. And it's something that I just want to try to sear into my brain if I ever have kids or anything like that. But they were able to keep us to a high level of accountability in the sense that they really mapped out like you're allowed to do this and you're not allowed to do this or this is right and this is wrong. But even though we had this very strict kind of understanding of accountability, we were still able to ask all sorts of questions like, Mm. well, why is this right and this wrong? Well, I don't think this, or I don't want this. And we would just have, especially for me growing up, I was the youngest, like I said, we would just have all of these discussions at our dinner table, often about church teaching and why things were important. Even things like I really struggled growing up with the church's teaching on marriage Mm -hmm. and sexuality. And I, you know, I was like, I didn't understand why people couldn't just because I saw things as just like love is love and I couldn't understand why the church taught certain things intuitively and so I was really allowed and encouraged to ask those questions and to delve deeper and my parents didn't always have the answers by any means but they always pointed us in the direction to search for the right answers and and I mean all that being said that's all great but I think for anyone who kind of takes their faith seriously there comes a point in which you do have to know Jesus. Like you have to come to know Christ. And if you don't come to know Christ, I mean, you can buy into everything the church says, but you will feel empty at the end of the day. And so, so I had my, my sister, she's six and a half years older than me. She kind of struggled with her own relationship with God when she was in high school. And so she kind of went through a very early stage of asking the big questions, like asking why this, why that. And when I was a child, I used to go to bed at night and used to be terrified of death. Like I used to lie in bed and I used to think like, what if this is it? What if when we die, we just become like nothingness? And she, I think had not this exact same questions as me, but she was kind of exploring those same sentiments. Like, do I just pray to walls? You know, isn't what I'm saying going anywhere? Someone actually listening to what I'm saying. And so when she started asking those questions, I was still pretty impressionable. And so I really got to see her own kind of resolution of those things. And that was a huge influence on me as a child. And so I kind of grew up with that in mind, you know, that it's not that 
the faith came super easily to me in a certain sense, even though I was always around it and it was always a presence in my life. I had serious doubts about if God was real or not, Mm -hmm. if the Catholic church, if God was real, if the Catholic church had a right reading on who God was, you know, if Jesus really was a son of God, I had these really deep questions that I was asking kind of constantly growing up. And that I saw my sister asking in a very, very intentional way where she really wanted an answer. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to university, so I had this kind of cultural background, always went to mass. I never, ever skipped mass, even when I went to university, even though, like I said, I was kind of wrestling with some of these questions. Right. When I was in my first year of university, I actually went through a breakup mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't even know I was in a relationship when I went through a breakup, <laughs> but the absence of that relationship made me realize, oh, this is a relationship and this is a breakup. Okay. <laughs> and so, yeah, so it wasn't like a very clear thing to me. Mm-hmm. I was a very confused teenager. I, you know, again, my parents, I was like, I, I didn't know if I was in a relationship or not. I was scared to like ask my parents about dating. So, you know, just normal teenage stuff. Mm-hmm. But obviously this relationship had ended and it was a, in all essence a breakup and I was totally broken and I didn't really understand why because I didn't even you know like accept the relationship properly in the first place and right. anyway so I was totally broken and totally I had felt totally rejected and totally lost. And I remember God in that moment speaking so clearly to me. And it wasn't even that he said anything specific, but he just drew me to him. And I started going to mass every single day. I had lost like a whole bunch of weight, which wasn't healthy for me at the time. It wasn't, I was not a healthy weight or, you know, for me, but I was like sustained by the Eucharist. Like that's the best Mm -hmm. way that I can describe it. I was living at university at the time and I wasn't really able to eat much, but I was sustained by the Eucharist. The Eucharist sustained me. I would go to mass every Mm -hmm. single day. We had mass at the Newman Center in Toronto uh, at 12 o'clock or 12 or five or something like that. And I would go every single day Mm -hmm. for that first semester. And the presence of God in that moment was so real to me. Mm -hmm. And I finally started to understand that Christ is a person, you Mm -hmm. know, Christ is it's someone, he's someone you encounter and he, and the crazy thing is he like lives in us, (laughs) you know? So it's like this person that you're encountering, especially in the Eucharist, you literally are physically encountering him and he's also living in in you at the same time. And, and so that semester, that was my first semester of university. Mm. And I remember the prayer that I had for God at that time, which I've definitely regretted since, but at the time (laughs) was like, Lord, never let me think that I don't need you. Never let me forget that I need you because I I was so dependent on God. So, so dependent on God that I was so in tune with that, this reality that we actually are totally dependent on God. And it's an illusion to think that we're not, but I didn't want to go back there. I didn't want to go back to someone who found God on the weekends and lived out my Catholic faith. I wasn't not living out my faith, but just not really in tune and, Mm And, you know, I wasn't really surrounded by a lot of people who were living out their faith. Most of my friends didn't have some sort of spiritual practice or anything like that, or weren't necessarily believers in the Catholic church or were hurt by the Catholic church. So a lot of my circle besides my family and some of my friends weren't able to kind of relate with what I was going through. Mm. And so for me, I was really, really aware at that time, like, this is real, this is true, you know, and because that sustained me, that kind of carried on into my life and became a more, a bigger part of my life as the years kind of went on. So that was my kind of, not a reversion, because I never left the church, but in a sense, like my reality check of like, okay, this is real, this is true, this is God. 
that prayer, oh man, that followed me for literally the rest of my, at least so far, the rest of my life. And so I've spoken about this on the Inner Thicket podcast, but I ended up having a ton of health struggles after my second year of university. And that has kind of deepened my faith and enriched it and challenged it in a lot of ways. But I think that was the point in which I, there was no turning back. That was the point in which I was like, okay, well, now I know this is real. So I can never turn back from this was in that first semester of university. It was very, very, very powerful experience. And like I said, that's been deepened and challenged in different ways, but I don't know. It's like, once you know the person of Christ and you know that he's present in the Eucharist and you feel that presence very tangibly, it's, you just can't go back. Cause then it'd be like rejecting someone like rejecting you who I see and speak to today, you know, right. like, Oh, you know, Rachel's not real, which is not true. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that was probably the moment, like I said, in which my faith kind of became my whole world. And mm-hmm. I, I'm already at that point, I was like I said, I was always going to mass every Sunday and my family was a huge part of my family life. Both my siblings are very involved in their faith. My mm-hmm. brother also kind of had a reversion, a different type of reversion, but he had one when he was in university also. So the three of us siblings, as well as my parents were talking about our faith constantly. Wow. And so it was there in the family, but it really kind of bled over. It started to bleed over into my whole life at that point, And it just got more and more and more and more so Mm, it's so beautiful and you know you talk about reversion and you know similarly I think about my own journey and and certainly that's the word that comes to mind as well you know like you're saying you never left the faith but it's a real intentional choice to depend on someone else other than yourself Mm -hmm. because I think it's especially during that time of university it's that time of self-discovery and you mentioned that relationship that you didn't realize was a relationship and Mm -hmm. even there there is some identity that you put into that relationship or you know you could replace that with anything else like you know your schooling or or whatever it is so yeah like it's such a profound reminder that ultimately yes it's God who is our identity and it's his presence that sustains us and I love that you talked about being sustained on the Eucharist. Like, I find that to be mm-hmm. so beautiful. Is there a reason? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, Eucharist in the Catholic faith, source and summit of our faith. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. do you remember, like, what it was that was just kind of drawing? Like, it sounds like such a, a dumb question. But yeah, just like, what was it that drew you or or piqued your curiosity? Yeah. I think for me... I, I mean, I always knew in my head what the church taught, but I hadn't had like a tangible experience of understanding that that was the real presence up to that point. And I, like I said, I wasn't eating a lot. I think that was part of it is that like, I'm someone who loves food. I love food. I love eating. I enjoy my meals. I enjoy my desserts. I enjoy food, like I said. And so that was, that was also first experience of my life where I wasn't really hungry. I didn't really have an appetite for food. And so I I think God just like drew me. I can't explain it other Mm -hmm. than like the spirit was like, the spirit was moving in my life. And, and I was just drawn, like I wasn't eating, but I knew I needed food. That's kind of the best way that I can put it. And it's so funny because the Eucharist of course is the body of Christ, but it's also food, Mm -hmm. right? Like it is bread. It is bread that we eat when we go and we receive Jesus. And so I think it was that combination of like, I wasn't really eating much food. I'm someone who, like I said, loves food and takes food. Food is a priority in my life to some extent. So the Eucharist is food, Mm -hmm. physical food. Mm -hmm. And it was also, of course, spiritual food. And I think 
I don't know that that's kind of the best way that I can describe it is yeah. that yeah it was this food it, it gave me the food that I needed when I wasn't able to eat the food that was around me right and he nourishes yeah. us like every step of the way so yeah what a profound yeah. reminder too that he yes it's like of course it's food is important and it's something that God gives mm-hmm. us in abundance especially absolutely. here but absolutely just to be reminded of that now you mentioned the health struggles that you underwent mm-hmm. in your second year mm-hmm. and I think what I find to be so profound just as we kind of dive into that portion is that you have that reversion and that strengthening of faith to one degree and many times whenever there are you know those big pivotal moments at least like in in talking to some people many times it's like you have that first encounter and like you said you can't go back Mm -hmm. but the reverse is also true where once you have that encounter it doesn't mean that you are suddenly removed from all suffering right and in fact (laughs) it plunges you deeper and (laughs) that prayer that you mentioned you need to hold on you need to depend on him even more so I was wondering if we could talk about that a little bit just how these challenges that you encountered with your health Mm -hmm. and of course something that is yeah we could be talking like life or death because that's it's your Mm -hmm. body it's your physical health what was it that happened but also how it was that God had really taken you even deeper with that relationship Sure. Yeah. So to give some context and background, growing up, I was always a bit of a justice person. Like I really wanted to change the world and make the world a better place. Like when I was in grade school, we do speeches here every year. I did my grade five speeches on the condition of women in Afghanistan. I did my grade eight speech on child labor. Like I was just, I had a heart for I still do, but at, you know, it was manifest in this way, having a heart for people and kind of the conditions that people have to live in and certain injustices that are, that occur in the world. And I would say the injustices I was interested in were human injustices and usually kind of international ones more so where people are really living in countries that don't allow them to be free to practice their religion or to do just daily things that we take for granted here. And so I was hyper interested in finding out ways to help people in the situations, really having a heart for these people. And it would keep me up at night, honestly. Like, you know, even as an adult, I remember when ISIS had taken over Iraq when I was in university and reading the horror stories that people were going through. And I just wanted to go there. And, you know, it's so ironic. My health ended up kind of playing a part in even that, but I just having this heart, like I said, so that's some context and background to kind of my journey. And so I really worked towards making that happen. Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, I specialized in political science and I did a double minor in French and Spanish to kind of have this global background. I, um, got an internship and worked in parliament for a year and had planned to come and do my master's in public policy again at the University of Toronto. I had gotten in, I deferred my entry for a year. And so I kind of had this whole map planned out. And my goal was actually to run for politics, run for politics, run for office (laughs) and work in politics for so many reasons. There's also a lot of teachings that are very close to my heart that I would like to see changes on within the way that our country operates. And so there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of these issues that are very near and dear to my heart. And my goal was to run for office and to be a politician. And I had a lot of really good feedback in that direction, a lot of encouragement in that direction. I loved my job. It was, of course, it was really challenging at times. My hours were kind of crazy, but I I loved the work that I did. I thought it was extremely rewarding. 
And my brain is kind of built for that type of work. So I thought it didn't come easily to me, but it came fairly easily to me, I would say, as compared to other things may have. And then um, in second year of university, I was, I had just recovered from strep throat and I was playing indoor soccer really close to my house. And I started to get like really swollen eyes and I had pretty bad seasonal allergies. So I didn't think much of it. My sister was playing with me though. And she kind of called me from across the field. And she's like, your eyes are really, really swollen. Go to the bathroom and like wash your face. Cause I couldn't see oh, at this geez. point properly. So yeah. it was like pretty cloudy. And I, I could feel that my eyes were super swollen. And so I went to the bathroom and there was another girl in the bathroom there. And she was like, you need to go to the front desk. Like you are looking really sick. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And I could kind of see myself, but like I said, my eyes were so swollen. I couldn't even really see what I looked like. And I kind of went to the front desk and the lady's like, I'm going to call 911. And I was like, oh, don't worry about it. Like I, my house is like a five minute walk from here. I'm just going to walk home. And she's like, no, 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 I'm going to call 911. After she said that, I like stepped outside and a good friend of mine who was also playing with us at the time, he kind of ran over and he had my sister's keys and he's like, I'm going to drive you home. But when he stepped outside, I just remember the whole world starting to spin. And I was like, I'm going to throw up and I'm going to faint. Like that's going to happen immediately. And he's like, Oh no, you'll be fine. Like I'm going to drive you home like right away. And I was like, no, no. And I threw up and I started to faint and I did faint. And then the next bit is like kind of a blur for me to be totally honest with you. I was in a ton of pain. I don't remember very much but I do know that they administered two EpiPens and yeah, I was in the hospital and I, I don't remember, to be honest, a lot of what happened after that. And that was my first anaphylactic reaction. And I don't have a allergy that, so I don't have something that I'm anaphylactic to that they've been able to discover. But that was the first in a series of anaphylactic reactions that I started to have. That one was probably the worst one. I've had a couple ones that were also pretty bad, but that one was probably the worst one. And I had almost died. That time, like I stopped breathing. They had put oxygen, they put an oxygen mask on me. I don't, I just don't remember most of it, to be honest with you. And I remember when I was in the ambulance, my dad was in the ambulance with me. And this is kind of when I was going in and out of consciousness. And he was praying, he was saying Hail Marys. And I remember thinking like, okay, this is it. Like I am dying. Like I had this conscious thought because I couldn't breathe and I was blacking out Mm -hmm. and they had this mask on me and I was, you know, I was in a ton of pain and I remember it, everything going dark and I was looking for God and looking for God and looking for God. And I just didn't find God. It was just black and like nothingness. So when I woke up from that kind of experience, I had like, even though, like I said, I had this reversion experience where I couldn't go back. I had a huge crisis of faith where I was like, okay, I know God is real. I've experienced God literally bringing me through something, like helping me to survive. But when I was the closest to death that I've been, like he just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. You know, Mother Mary was there. All these things that I thought would happen when you're close to death weren't happening for me. And so I was like, was that real? Was that not real? And I started to again have these conversations with God, but I was in a much more mature place in my life where I had had a real experience of God. So I was having those conversations within a zone, which I did know that he was real and he existed. So that was in 2013, I believe the next five years to even now 
have been a process of me letting go of my dreams and what I thought God wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. And it's been slow. Like, so I got sick. I had that reaction. And I remember I was so sick. I couldn't really go to school for a couple of weeks. And so I missed like two weeks of classes, which in university is a lot of classes. And so I went in and talked to the academic advisor and they told me like they couldn't give me my money back for the semester. Cause I was thinking like, I'll just, you know, start again next semester. I ended up dropping a bunch of classes, but finishing the semester. But then I kind of just kept going. Like, you know, I was like, okay, I wasn't able to take three classes this semester. So I'm going to take summer school. Like, I think I was in denial about the fact that this was going to be part of my life now. And so I continued to do things the way that I had thought I needed to do things. I, like I said, I, I ended up graduating on time, doing really well in school because I really prided myself on my grades, which is not a good thing, but it was something at the time that I was still very attached to, but I kept getting sick. I had an anaphylactic reaction that first year. I had an anaphylactic reaction my third year. I had one in the winter time and I still was in denial about it. I was like, oh, it's just an allergy. They just haven't figured out what I'm allergic to. And so I would go for all of these tests. I think at one point I had like seven doctors, you know, all specializing in different things because they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Right. And then I went on my internship. And at that point, I think I was so sick, but I just kept going, like kept kind of pushing through the feeling of being sick. Mm -hmm. Like I look back at pictures of myself from that year and I look at pictures of me now and like, it's very palpable that my body just wasn't doing well. And so I ended up having a reaction when I was in Ottawa and then I came home and I had another reaction two weeks later and I had to leave my internship. Then I went and I started my master's program and I had a reaction my first day of school, literally before I even went to my first class, like on the train, I I was a commuter on the train. I had a reaction and it was just God telling me like, close the store. And I still didn't like the crazy thing is even though I've had, like, you, you know, you said you have these experiences, you still, the suffering just can kind of grow. And a part of it was, I just wasn't willing to accept this. So I still didn't. I went back again for another attempted a master's program the next year. And then that November I had to be hospitalized again. And then I was like, okay, I hear you. And so at that point I was like, okay, this is not God's will for me. Mm -hmm. And God doesn't want bad things for us, of course, but if we truly desire to live in him and with him, sometimes he is super clear about what he doesn't want for us. And that is a hard thing to swallow. And I think for me, like, I think part of the reason I had so many anaphylactic reactions is because I made that prayer. And it's not because God wants me to have anaphylactic reactions or feel sick. It's because he wanted me to leave that field. But then that process of letting dreams die was really, really, really hard for me. And I think like, that's something we don't really talk about that much in the church because it's hard to it's hard to talk about. And when you're trying to evangelize people, you want to tell them all the good stories. You know, you want to tell them the time that Jesus helped you out of this situation or that you felt the presence of God in this situation. You don't want to tell them that like, sometimes following Jesus Christ means letting your own dreams die. (laughs) And so in the church, we don't focus on that because it's not going to draw people in. But when you're in the church and you're living as a member of the church, that's a reality that you might have to face and maybe you won't, maybe your will is perfectly aligned with God's or almost perfectly aligned with God's, you know, but for most of the, most of the time, most of us, all of us, except for Mary, to some extent, our will is not 
perfectly aligned with God's will for us. And so if we desire God's will, if that's really the most important thing to us, we are going to have to experience the death of other things because we're not perfectly holy. Like I said, I'm definitely not perfectly holy. I'm so, so far from it. And so because of that, God had to really be like taking away these things from me one at a time. And yeah, I had to let that dream die. And that is something I still struggle with, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. It's something I I don't really know how to always process. It doesn't always bring out the best in me. Like sometimes I'm envious of other people going out and living their lives. And I feel like I'm stuck, even though I, I know in my head that that's not true. I know that, again, God's plan is greater for me than my plan and that I have tapped into real freedom mm-hmm. through this experience. Mm-hmm. But the human side of me still really struggles to accept this cross, which it has been for me for years. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of my experience of saying yes to Jesus and then Jesus really challenging me and still to this day, still challenging me. And who knows, like, I'm not saying that God has shut the door on that thing for me forever, but I'm operating with that assumption now, unless he shows me otherwise. Like I said, it continues to this day. There. It's less in some areas, it's just as much in other areas, but have definitely a deep abiding peace. And that to me is more valuable than a career in politics. Mm. Wow, Trisha, thank you. Like I, I mentioned to you before we got going, like when I first heard bits and pieces of the story in the in the Thicket mm-hmm. podcast, I, I mentioned that it totally arrested me, I, like just for, for listeners, uh, and I will link it in the show description just because you have to listen to it. But like I was telling you, I, I stopped literally on the street just because mm-hmm. I, I just needed to, to stand still and listen. And I think just from what you had shared just now, like the, the part about that prayer, praying that you will never forget the true need for dependence mm-hmm. on him. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's not that he willed for you to have anaphylactic shock or he wanted to take away something that was obviously so valuable to you. Mm-hmm. And yet, like you said, the cross being a sign of contradiction, as we understand it, like in our faith, St. Paul talks about that. And just the different ways that when we do follow Christ, it Mm. requires us to take up our cross, but also die to ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. And the ways in which he's able to make something beautiful out of that. Mm -hmm. And I guess like what I'm seeing is like this beautiful, you know, clearly like you have a a gift for, for being able to speak speak and and also speak from the heart you know those the real passions that you had to serve other people like that in itself comes it comes out loud and clear just as we're chatting Mm -hmm. right now as I'm hearing you share your story and the different ways in which and and maybe like that's a a great segue into talking about your art because in the eyes of the world it could be seen that you've done like a complete 180 you know Mm -hmm. here you were preparing to go into politics And then, Mm -hmm. you know, you've entered into now sharing your art and being so successful with it. Like, I remember the first time I've seen some of your pieces, I was just like, oh, my goodness, this is so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. That's so meaningful to me. Thank you. Oh, of course. And like that in itself, too, is a way of, you know, obviously sharing the gifts that God has given to you. But I feel like in maybe a, a more subtle way, like also being able to help people. And like, as Mm -hmm. you mentioned in your site too, like you want to help people like see beauty and see truth through those things. So I was wondering if we could talk about that, like how that transition happened. Like, you know, after you realized that, okay, like I need to close this door because God has been abundantly clear. So in that crossroads, how did you decide that art was the next thing to do? 
Yeah. Yeah. And just to add, sorry, just to add on to what you were saying, because I thought you spoke so eloquently about how God doesn't want us to suffer. Like God doesn't desire for us to suffer. But I think like the beautiful thing is, and the thing that I really want people to know is that like, we are made for heaven, (laughs) you know, like we are made for heaven and God wants us to be in heaven with him and to behold his face forever and to be in communion with our brothers and sisters. And, you know, that's what we're made for. And we're made to bring the kingdom of God on earth. Absolutely. But we are also made for heaven, even though he doesn't want us to suffer. Our suffering sometimes gives us the capacity to understand what it means to be in heaven one day. Because like heaven isn't this like magical place with unicorns Mm -hmm. and (laughs) rainbow skies, right? Like heaven is to be united with Jesus and Jesus died on the cross. And so if that is what we truly desire, even though God does not desire our suffering, he does not, he absolutely does not. This, this is a way of us understanding what it really means like to be one with God. Mm-hmm. And by that same token, we experience the immense amount of joy and goodness that God also brings with the suffering, which is such a paradox. And honestly, no one, I feel like can understand it until they're in it. And Absolutely. like, you know what I mean? When you're in it, you just understand it and it, it makes sense. But yeah. And so, sorry, I just really want to add to that because I thought that was so beautifully, beautifully put. Um, So my art, so when I first left my master's program, I started getting like a couple of random kind of commissions from people. So I've always been interested in art. I um, had the best art teacher ever in high school. She was amazing. She was so good. She was such an attentive teacher and she really challenged us to do our best work. So she would never like her, she she would say, you know, I'm not going to give you a 90 unless I think your work deserves to be in a museum. Like she was really, she really pushed us as for someone who really cared about grades. Like that was something that definitely motivated me and made me really improve my skills. So like from year to year in high school, I got better and better and better. My great grandfather, he was an artist that was his profession. My great aunt was also an artist. So like, it's always been a part of me and my family. It's always been around me. We have paintings of theirs at my home, especially my great aunt, but I left it. I kind of put it to the side once I started university because I just got so busy with school and my extracurriculars and commuting. I was a commuter. So I got really busy and I just kind of put it to the side. And my fiance, who was my boyfriend at the time, would encourage me like, hey, you should pick up your pencil and just like doodle and stuff on the weekends. I was someone who would, is high, fairly high stress, <laughs> especially when I was going through that time. And so he would encourage me to try to do that as a way of alleviating some of the pressures and anxieties and stresses that I would feel. And I didn't really do it though, to be honest with you, because I (laughs) am a procrastinator and I just, I'm like, oh, I'll just do it some other time. And I wanted to sit and watch TV and eat good food and then work if I needed to kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I left it. And then, like I said, once I left my master's program, I just got like random people who knew that I drew and I painted who I, who have known for a long time would ask me like, Hey, can you do this? A really good family friend had asked me to do a couple of things. And I was like, Oh, you know, you don't have to pay me. Like I really struggled to accept money from people. And so I was like, Oh, you know, you have to pay me. I'll do it. But they were always so gracious and always gave me some sort of gift, but I didn't take it super seriously. So like I did a few things here and there, but for the most part, honestly, I took that year most, if I'm being honest with you and myself, which is a hard thing for me to say, but it's true. I mostly took that year off. I didn't really do that much work. 
my fiance again at the time he was just my boyfriend but he bought me a website mm-hmm. domain oh. for my art and he's like I spent money on this because I really want you to take it seriously but to be honest I did not take it seriously <laughs> I like came up with a fun name which at the time was Trish Designs it was like a play on my my name Trisha D'Souza and I had this domain but I really didn't go very far with it because my plan was always I'm going to go back to school mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I went back to school the following year I think that would have been 20. 18 or 2019, all the years kind of get mixed up in my head. (laughs) It was in school. I was in school full time. I was living in Toronto at the time and I was hospitalized in November at the end of November. And so when that happened, I had left school after my anaphylactic reaction and I still wasn't sure if I was going to try to go back again because what they kept doing, which was nice of them, is they kept deferring my entry a year. So even though I'd done like three months of school, like, okay, that's okay. We'll, we'll just defer. You just need to finish your final exams within a year because I literally only had my two final exams and my two final writing assignments before I was done that semester and had had my grades but I left literally before I submitted those four final things and so they were like you know if you if you submit it within the year then we'll give you those credits and you can just continue this program and so at the time I was thinking oh I might still do that I'm not sure I was still kind of pursuing this politics public policy field even though I kind of really could feel God edging me out of that hmm. but I didn't want to accept that because it would mean a huge security loss like in money and in career and all of these things and so I just didn't want to accept that but I started drawing again some more and I got a few more commissions and then in the spring of 2019 I started having this conversation with God where I was like, okay, what do you want me to do? Should I stay in school or should I leave? I really want this. I feel like you don't want me to do this, but like, I really, really, really want this. I prayed about it a lot, thought about it a lot and decided at that point to leave, to actually leave. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified because I was like, how am I going to make money? Like, I had been working towards having this career that would give me security and that would give me benefits and all these things. And I wasn't really qualified for much else. You know, I did my degree in politics. And even if I was qualified in other things, my health wasn't letting me work a normal job. Like I wasn't able to work a nine to five job or even a shift shift work at that time because my health was so poor. And so I felt God saying, you know, I want you to do art. Mm. In 2019, I I used that domain. It was trishdesigns.com, like I said, and I didn't release any social media or anything like that. I might've done a couple of Instagram posts, but nothing really important. And I went to a couple of fairs and stuff. So I went to a couple of Hamilton art calls and I just kind of put my work out there a little, was kind of working on commission, living at my parents' home, which I'm still at currently. (laughs) Very grateful for that. And just kind of working when and where I got the work. And then my fiance and my sister and my sister-in-law sat me down one day and they were like, we want to help you create a business out of your work because we think that it is good and it is valuable. My dad was helping me. And so I was like, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you with this. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know for sure if that's what he wanted me to do. Mm But I kind of went in and we did a lot of brainstorming. They really, really helped me out. I came up with my business name, which is a play on my middle name, which is Marion. It's also an ode to Maid Marion and it's also an ode to Mother Mary. And so I thought that was perfect. And 
I started releasing prints and I started releasing designs for prints on Instagram, which was a whole new thing for me because I didn't have any social media before that. So that was really hard. Um, and seeing if that was being received and it was, it was being received pretty well. And so I decided on a website launch date and I launched my website in 2020. God not only confirmed what I was supposed to be doing, he just encouraged it and multiplied it and multiplied it. And so I know for certain <laughs> this is where he wants me to be. And it does not come without his challenges, don't get me wrong, but I really feel called to be here. And he's always blessed me with work. And that is one thing I'm so grateful for. Like money to me is not an easy thing to let go of, not because I'm like obsessed with money or anything, but just for security, just to feel like I have income coming in. Also, my fiance, like I said, he's in law school right now. So he's earning in the summers, but he's not earning during the year. We're getting married. You know, money can be kind of a stressful thing. So money is something I've always struggled to let go of. And even though I've had to take a massive pay cut in a sense, and like, I'm not earning enough money to support myself completely, which is what ideally I would be doing. Ideally, I'd be able to live on my own and support myself on my own completely. At this point, Mm -hmm. my business is not quite there yet. I've always had work. I've always had commissions. I always have at least one commission on the go. And then I'm selling my prints, you know, which have been generating income for me, which I'm so grateful for. And like you said, I think the more important thing is I'm able to use my art to kind of express truth and beauty in a way that I feel God wanting me to. Mm, That's amazing. And again, like just the word dependence, right? Just I love that you had mentioned Mm -hmm. it right off the top. But with every chapter, with every season, there has been an opportunity to grow in dependence on him. And just as you were talking about whether it was letting go of the security of money or transitioning from a potential career in politics into art and working on your business full time. It has been like just, it was Jesus himself in the gospels, but talking about, you know, looking at the wildflowers and the birds, right? Even the mm-hmm. swallows have a nest, even the flowers are dressed yeah. and they don't need to worry about anything. Taking, everything's taken care of. Exactly. Yeah. And just how he's been able to do that with you in, in so many yes. different ways. And like you said, it doesn't come without its challenges. No, um, it's not. It's still like a, an ongoing journey. But like you said, to remember that as we are on the ship towards our eternal home, how everything is taken care of. He's got a plan for us. And, you know, you mentioned so beautifully earlier, just how it is that it's better than anything we could ever imagine. That's right. And like, it's so cool. God really does take care of us. Like Mm -hmm. he's always given me in my business, he's always given me and enough money for me to survive on and to do what I need to do, even though I'm an artist, you know, and being an artist is usually, you know, you hear the phrase starving artist for a good reason. Like it's, I make something that is not necessary to people's lives. It's something that they have to choose to put into their lives. I don't make, you know, I'm not, I don't make food. I don't make furniture. I make something that they are choosing to look at. And he's still, he's always given me enough. He's always given me what I need. He's always given me direction in my business and how to make it grow. He's given me the ideas for my business, for my prints. So many of my prints are inspired by the things that he has put into my heart to communicate. And it's a dream that I never had in a way, like I never thought of being a small business owner. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn a lot. I had to learn, you know, how to get a small business license and how to sell things and taxes. Taxes were so confusing to me the first time. (laughs) And, you know, where to source my materials and all these things. But it's been such a beautiful process of God just saying, depend on me. And the, the money thing I think is so important too, because 
as someone who, like I said, really cared about my grades, really cared about being a responsible, contributing member to society, letting go of something that was certain into something that is uncertain was an act of trust and like God being like, depend on me. I will provide for you. I will take care of your needs. When you're married, I'm going to be married. I'm going to be the only earning member. Like I said, while my fiance is in school, Mm -hmm. I'm going to trust that he's going to provide financially for the two of us through the work that I do. And so it's a hard thing to trust because like I said, art is something that is so subjective and people can choose to have it or not have it depending on what they desire. But I'm going to trust that he is going to continue to provide for me as long as I'm doing the will of his, you know, as long as I am in his footsteps and I'm not trying to like step outside and carve my own niche and I'm just doing what he is commanding me. I'm going to trust that financially and physically and mentally and emotionally, he is going to provide for me. And that's the reality that all of us face. We are all totally financially, physically, emotionally dependent on Christ. And like, I remember I was at mass recently and I went to go give money to the church and I only had a $50 bill in my purse Mm -hmm. and it was like, hard. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it was really hard. And I was like, this is an act of trust. This money is not my Mm -hmm. money. It's Jesus's money, Mm -hmm. you know? And it was really good for me that I only had a $50 bill in my purse because it was an opportunity for me to take that step and to trust God and to give it back to him and to just constantly be giving it back to him. And I think that's kind of the number one lesson my anaphylactic reactions have taught me is that Mm. like, it is an illusion to think that we are in control of our own lives. Mm. Our lives can change at the drop of a hat for no reason for something that we can never foresee. And we need to understand that our dependence on God starts now. It starts when we are fully capable, fully physically fit, fully financially independent. You know, it starts now because if we can realize that we are dependent on him when we don't need money, when we don't need health, when we don't need family around us, then how much more are we going to be able to be free when we do need all of those things, Mm. when we do need financial help, when we do need a support system of people around us, when we do need money, you know, we're going to be able to be so much more free in our relationship with him because we knew we were dependent on him even when we had all those things. Mm. So... Wow. Yeah, Trisha, that is so well said. And I think, you know, certainly for me in, in this current season, I needed to hear that. And, and I can imagine yeah. that many listeners, you know, at any stage, I think you're right, especially in those moments of consolation, to be reminded that ultimately, we are God's. That's yeah, right. we need him constantly, regardless. Yes. Um, yes. But especially in those moments of desolation, and in, in those moments where the trials seem to be everywhere. It's such a That's good reminder right. because once we have that strength from the consolation, we're able to bring that truth into the desolation as well. So I'm just so appreciative of everything that you've shared today and for being so open and vulnerable. I know that it can't be easy to really be open, but at the same time, like I can tell that it's really the Lord that speaks through you and for that, I'm Praise so grateful. God. So thank you. Praise God. As we wrap up the conversation, I think just mm-hmm. as you reflect on your life, to date and and you Mm -hmm. think about your feminine genius and your Mm -hmm. how it's flourished and grown can you share a reflection of how you've seen that your feminine genius grow throughout your life absolutely yeah I think this is such an interesting question and such a good one because I would say that I growing up was felt like a fairly like rough and tumble kind of person I never really felt super 
feminine in certain ways. Like I didn't feel like I fit the mold of being, you know, a gentle womanly woman, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Mm -hmm. And not that I'm not gentle, but just like, I feel like a bit of a rough and tumble person sometimes. And so I never really related to a lot of the qualities of the feminine genius when I would hear people discuss them. Like I never really felt super motherly growing up. Maybe it's because I'm the youngest. I don't know, but it was never like a strong pull for me to feel that way at least. I wouldn't say I'm particularly soft-spoken or like particularly gentle and fairly clumsy. I, you know, just had all these desires and, and personality traits that I would often would feel were in contrast to the way that Mm. women are supposed to be, or the way that we commonly see feminine genius. And so I read Fulton Sheen's book, I think it's called, um, Mary mother of God or something. Oh, is it world's first love? World's first love, Mary mother of God. Yes. Very good book. Oh, it's a great book. It took me a while to get into it, but once I got into it, I was like hooked. And there's like a whole chapter in that book where he talks about the differences between men and women. Mm-hmm. And even though I had like gone to a theology of the body retreat and all these things, I never felt emotionally connected to the way someone described femininity until I read that chapter. And I don't remember exactly what he says, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but he says something to the effect of women often are not satisfied with what is around them, but that that's not a bad thing. And I think that was the first time it had been put that way. Cause normally we hear like, don't constantly be comparing yourselves to others and all these things, which is true and good. That is all true. But his point is our lack of satisfaction points us to Jesus. It Mm. points us to God and it points men and other people in our lives also to God. And so hearing that part of the feminine genius kind of explained that way was so freeing for me and mind opening. Cause I was like, I can relate to that. So that for me has been a huge part of my life where I am constantly unsatisfied. I'm constantly unsatisfied with my life. I'm constantly, even if things are perfectly perfect, so to speak, I have this gnawing feeling of it's just not enough. It's never enough Mm -hmm. to see that as like a positive thing. It's never enough because it's not supposed to be enough. I think is, has just totally changed the way that I see the feminine genius. Um, So I would say that that is an aspect of the feminine genius that has really sustained and moved and motivated me in my life to seek God and to remind me of God. Like I said, in moments, like even when everything is going well, I still remember God because I, I recognize that I'm just not satisfied with this world. I'm just not, I'm not, it doesn't make me feel whole or full, but it's not supposed to, you know? And I, yes, that is, a, and because he mentioned this, and I think this is true from having a brother and a dad and even my fiance that with men, like often they can get kind of caught up in day-to-day tasks and then they're like content and happy with that at the end of the day. But for women, often we're constantly unhappy with things and that manifests itself in not always good ways like comparison or envy or trying to make the people around us perfect but that actually comes from a very good place. It shows a part of the heart of God, which is we as women are so such beautiful creatures and we desire so much God. Like our hearts are just so naturally in tune with the fact that we need God. Mm -hmm. That's such a special gift by who we are as women and, and how we desire things. We are naturally never full. And that is because we naturally desire the heart of God so, so much. Like how much of a privilege and a gift is that as a woman? And so now I kind of hold that 
that quality with some like honor and dignity and being like, you know, I'm glad that I'm not satisfied because it reminds me that I wasn't made for this. I was made for something so much greater. And that has built into my work and my career changes and my health and my whole life. Trisha, thank you so, so much. Like I said, just for everything and for, for sharing you know, your your own feminine genius with me and all of our listeners uh, for being so vulnerable and also just gracing the world with your art because that in itself thank is a you, fiat. Rachel. So thank you. Oh, praise God. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> Trisha, and- would you be able to lead us in a closing prayer? Absolutely. Absolutely. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity that we've had today to be in each other's company and to share with one another the ways in which you speak in our lives. We know that whoever is listening has concerns and things in their heart that they wanna bring to you that they need consolation in or clarity in. And we just ask that you give them the graces they need to see what it is that you are saying in their own lives. And Lord, we just also offer up anything that someone is going through that needs to be transformed, that you may transform it to something that they may receive your love from. I ask you to bless Rachel and her podcast and the work that she's gonna keep doing and all the women that she's going to speak with and all the ministries in their lives. And Lord, I ask that you always let us know that we need you both myself and Rachel and everyone who's listening, that this world is not our home, that the reality, the things that we touch and feel are not more real than you and your presence. We join all of these prayers today with your beautiful mother, our mother, Mary. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Trisha, thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you again to Trisha D'Souza for joining me on the Feminine Genius Podcast today. Be sure to follow Trisha on Instagram at Made Marian Illustrated. And I've also included a link to Trisha's episode from the In the Thicket podcast that we mentioned in this episode. You can find both of these in the episode description and the show notes. You can learn more about the Feminine Genius Podcast by following us on Facebook and Instagram at FemGeniusPod. And you can listen and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other platforms. All of this information can be found on our home on the web, FeminineGeniusPodcast.com. We'll talk to you soon, and God bless you always.